Anya, aka Strangely Literal. And I'm Alan, and this is Shadows and Shamblers. Please stand as you are able for this week's reading, which comes to us from the book of Emma Gonzalez. This is what matters. The majority of American people have become complacent in a senseless injustice that occurs all around them. Most American politicians have become more easily swayed by money than by the people who voted them into office. My friends are dead, along with hundreds upon hundreds of others all over the United States. Now you may be seated. And we're really happy to announce that we have a special guest for this episode. So welcome, Janita Davis. Hello, everyone. So if you've listened to our podcast at all before, you know that Janita writes about pop culture for the site Black Girl Nerds, as well as freelancing on parenting, race, and other topics for a variety of publications, including The Washington Post, New York Times, Sci-Fi Wire, and many more. Yeah, that's me. Um, So I just love to analyze and write about pop culture and social issues, stuff about my kids, not too much else, really. We're very excited to have you because we've really, like, admired your take on the show and like it's really heavily informed the way that we try to think about American gods. And we've uh, been pointing people to you since I think your first article uh, on the show. So we've, we're excited to talk to you. Thanks. (laughs) This week we rewatched American gods episode number six, a murder of gods. And we wanted to talk about it in light of the conversation on gun control that's uh, a result of the massacre of 17 people at the Parkland High School in Florida uh, on February 14th, 2018. And when we're recording this, that was uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Many of the surviving students from that tragedy have become outspoken gun control advocates, and they've gotten the conversation about gun control to stick in a way that it hasn't uh, in past shootings in America. And so I'll just give a quick summary of uh, the relevant parts of the episode. Um, We'll be, I think, mostly ignoring all of the sort of just like continuity, character development, blah, blah, blah. So it starts in the prologue where a Mexican coyote smuggles a group of people across the Rio Grande River. And after they cross the river, a vigilante militia attacks, killing Jesus and the other immigrants with bullets that were made in the Vulcan factory. Uh, Later on in the episode, Shadow and Mr. Wednesday arrive in Vulcan, West Virginia, and meet the god Vulcan, who runs the town. Uh, The townspeople are memorializing the death of a worker from the gun factory who died in a workplace accident that actually functions as a sacrifice um, that gives Vulcan more power. Mr. Wednesday convinces Vulcan to join the old gods and forge him a sword. Um, But when Vulcan betrays Shadow and Wednesday, Wednesday uses his sword to sacrifice Vulcan for his cause. Um, So, so Janita, I know Alan and I immediately thought of this episode as the Parkland students started speaking up in the news um, and were getting pushback from the NRA and different guns rights advocates. Um, So was it the same for you? Yes. Um, immediately, I started hearing Wednesday's monologue again um, as this news starts coming in. We've- Everyone in this particular town is a dedicated citizen, dedicated to one sticky belief. America. Their America. There aren't just two Americas. Everyone looks at Lady Liberty and sees a different face. Even if it crumbles under question, people will defend the warm, safe feeling their America gives them. They will defend it with bullets. Got these kids who are in mourning and and asking for uh, something to be done, and these adults who are telling them these idiotic, uh, giving them these excuses that don't make any sense at all. And so I started hearing Wednesday say, you know, talking about their America and they will protect it with guns. And I was, it just sent chills. I'm like, was American gods like prophetic or something? What's going on? <laughs> you know? So yeah, yeah. I, it, I've been thinking about this since the, the, the day this all started. And I'm so glad you guys um, are doing this because I think it's so connected. Um, So this episode originally aired on June 4th, 2017. And 
so much that it has to say is just super spot on mm-hmm. about the way that the gun rights and gun control are talked about and sort of like ingrained in our culture. And I feel like it got a lot of traction and a lot of credit for being accurate sort of among the, the small audience of people who are really into the show. Um, but because like Emma Gonzalez said, like Americans had gotten, you know, somewhat complacent or disappointed, figured out that there was no way to to actually implement gun control or no political will. It, it really got ignored by the broader culture. And so, yeah, I'm really hoping that people will go back and watch this episode because it's such a powerful metaphor Right. I think it brings like the, all of the little images and the music um, kind of together to kind of show us this, what we've been dealing with and show it to us in such a different way that it, I know it, when I first watched the episode, it hit me as, oh my God, I can't believe that this is, <laughs> this is what's going on. This is what it really looks like. Yeah. So you just kind of takes it and takes things and, and flips it around and gives, shows it back to us. And it's really horrifying. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting in my head, I felt like the entire episode took place in Vulcan, West Virginia. And going back and rewatching it, it's actually like a pretty small part of the episode. It's maybe like 15 minutes of of the hour long episode. Like, honestly, if I was on the stars marketing team right now, Mm -hmm. I would cut out that 15 minute segment. Maybe, you know, like put it together with the prologue, put that shit on YouTube. Yes. You know? Yeah. Hint, hint stars. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Some free marketing advice. Yeah, I was really struck, like, rewatching the episode. The whole episode is heightened in a way that when I watched it at the time, I was like, okay, like, this works for fiction, but I don't really feel like this is how it is in America. But in this moment and in this time right now, the pitch of the debate really does feel this intense to me. Traditionally, for me, like, I've come down on this issue of, like, I think... It's not a bad thing that Americans have the right to have weapons. If you compare like the rest of world history, you know, to that issue, every time that the common people have not been allowed to have weapons, like it's been really bad to be one of those common people. Like it's not a good Mm -hmm. thing to be an unarmed citizen under a government. But at the same time, like there's something unbalanced something badly unbalanced about what's happening in our culture, you know, even within the last 20 years, but especially it feels like more and more lately, like this time is intense. And I think this episode speaks directly to that. Yeah. Everything that's happening right now seems a bit surreal. Um, My kids are even, you know, really into it and um, talking about walkouts and ways to protest and things like that. So, you know, it's like for the whole family, uh, if you have a family, it's, it's, it's kind of a surreal moment and, Talking about this episode kind of gives us a way of processing what's happening now. Yeah. Can't wait to dive into it. Yeah. I'm really glad, uh, Junita, that you brought up this idea of of the, like, their America. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, from the beginning of the scene in Vulcan, that's sort of, like, one of the arguments that the episode is making. American culture is pretty fractured and polarized right now. And that there's a certain segment of America that is really wedded to this sort of like constellation of issues that don't, they're not related to each other in any like philosophical or fundamental way. They're just sort of like something that's been packaged together by conservative America. Yeah. Kind of like by chance. And so it's sort of like guns, a fetishization of like factory and industrial work, uh, religion, patriotism, mm-hmm. and then anti-immigration stances. You know, I'm a biologist. And in medicine, we talk a lot about like syndromes, which are like things that all kind of come together and they aren't, aren't necessarily all caused by the same things, but they tend to like occur together. And it's it's almost like a, like a syndrome of symptoms. <laughs> yeah, I like that idea. I've, I've not thought of it that way, but it, it, because it all does seem to come together but it, they shouldn't come together. It, it, this stuff should not. Uh, you you wouldn't think that it would all make sense. I mean, because with the religion, it's all about you know. If you look at if you're a biblical person, you you know, killing is bad. 
you know, violence is bad. But then we have people with guns in church and churches that are, you know, that are kind of backing the NRA. And so you've got these things that shouldn't go together, but they are. So I think syndrome is a good, it's a very good way of describing it. I do feel like the episode directly references that idea. Um, At one point, Vulcan is like kind of speechifying to uh, Wednesday and Shadow. And he says at one point, we are what we worship. He's like holding a pistol in his hand and he's talking about the people who buy his ammunition and guns. And he's directly talking about a commercial product there. And I do feel like that is the way that this happens. Like, how do you get somebody who believes it's wrong to abort a baby also get them to believe that it's right to kill somebody with a lethal injection? Like, how do you get somebody to to do that? And the way that you do it is you package a product, you know, and, and that product is uh, a political ideology, a political team and you you know you say like we won you you know we uh, are fighting against this or that, and then it doesn't matter if there are these dichotomies that like don't line up and are too confusing to contain in your mind because the most important thing is that like you're supporting the product you are what you worship so if you are like i'm a conservative if that's the part of your identity that you're feeding into then you're just on board for whatever that has been predefined by somebody else to be because you're like this is who i am yeah i like that mm-hmm. yeah it it fits in with a lot of the talking points i think of the parkland students which is the NRA is not an organization for gun-owning people. Like, it's not for huntsmen. It's an arm of the gun manufacturing lobby. These ideas, yeah, like you said, they didn't come from nowhere. They came from people who want to make money from selling guns. And so they have to, like, convince people that this is something that they want in spite of the cost and the sacrifice. Right. And I don't know, going back to the episode, I kind of look at the way when we talk about packaging and um, selling this idea to people, um, the way the episode started with like almost like a tour, it, like we're following this, you know, worker going through the, we know he's going to be sacrificed, but I mean, when you follow him in the beginning of the scene, he it looks like, you know, he's giving you a tour of the factory and the Partridge family is playing their, their, their song, you know, come on, get happy. While you're watching bullets being made, bullets that are meant to kill people, men, but we're going through this factory and this happy song is being played. The image is like really this really violent, harsh, there's fire, there's forges. This is not pretty. It's not safe. But we're still watching all of this and listening to this music. I think the way that the uh, show runners put this together with how this image clashing with the soundtrack, I think speaks to the way the packaging of this idea of guns and safety and and even the patriotism and all that together um the way it's coming together for conservatives how despite you know the fact that this they don't go together they're not supposed to we're they're still given enough you know of a hey this is still a good idea and and they're being told this by enough people and given enough um almost sweetener you know to kind of stomach it I mean, even when the guy yeah. falls into the, the the molten, you know, metal, this song is still playing. <laughs> so, yeah. so, but you know, so it's supposed to be. I mean, we're so this, the, you know, they're telling you, be happy. This is a good thing. This is, you know, we're all really, you know, yay, 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 and you know, so you, you can forget that you're watching this horrific thing that's happening. So I think to me, that's the way the gun lobby and the NRA kind of play out is that what they're doing um, is one thing and what what the message they're trying to sell is something totally different. It's a really, really, really good marketing team that they have doing this um, and that who's been building this uh, for decades. I think the, the show kind of speaks to, you know, how this is being a little bit to how this is being done. I mean, I don't think we know fully how, you know, it, it works, but I think... I think that that's part of it, you know, 
with the the, the clash of the imagery and the and, and the soundtrack and you know what's being said and what's being seen not coming together. It really highlights Absolutely. the cognitive dissonance of sort of like. I think gun rights advocates think that guns are making them safer and they're arguing that more guns will make you safer. But like Mm -hmm. the reality that you're seeing does not match that message. (laughs) Right. But then you still have these lobbyists saying, Hey, they're making you safe. They really, really are. It's not matching up. It's not happening. Um, There was a article I saw that said that gun injuries go down during gun conventions and gun shows. Yeah. Um, I saw that one too. It's crazy. So um, another thing they say is, you know, guns don't kill people. People kill people. And if you're a safe gun owner, you know, and your NRA member, our NRA members are supposed to be safe gun owners, then there should be no injuries or anything like that, right? So why are the numbers going down when you people are off doing your business and being preoccupied, you know, by this convention? Why, you know, and then when you're done with your convention, they spike right up again what's happening you know 20 percent. they said the injuries go down by 20 percent. yeah again it's another it's the the dissonance the the you know what's being said not meshing with what the reality is so in the episode you know when that worker dies that the reason for it is because it's cheaper for the insurance company to pay out a settlement on the accident than it is to overhaul the entire safety of Mm -hmm. the factory and bring it up to a proper code where everybody is safe. And I feel like that is such an apt metaphor for this situation, right? Because we're told over and over again that the price that you pay for the right to bear arms is that from time to time we will have a massacre. And it just seems like untenable to me. And also it feels completely disingenuous because the truth of the matter is that these people don't care about our right to bear arms or patriotism or any of these things. It's simply a profit motive. It's simply we represent a profitable industry. And the fact that the industry that they represent happens to be enshrined in the Constitution gives them access to, you know, to invoke the Constitution itself Mm -hmm. and patriotism and, you know, push that button in the culture in a way that, you know, there's nothing in the Constitution that says you have the right to own a Ford or something like that. Like other industries just don't have access to that Mm -hmm. marketing tool and they don't care about safety or patriotism they care about making money which is fine like people have the right to do that but be honest about it don't sell me this thing of like oh you're a great american for doing this like what you're really doing is pushing me in a volcano and feeding off of my blood (laughs) like a god like you're you're feeding on the blood of children to sell your guns that's literally what you're doing um was it what how many school shootings have we had since uh the, the year started 12 is that the number Every town came out with a number uh, that was the Parkland was the 18th. Um, But then there was another article put out, I think, maybe by the Washington Post saying that um, they didn't agree with the way that every town was doing their statistics, that basically every town was counting any time a gun was discharged on a school campus, regardless of what time Mm -hmm. of day. And we will link to that article in the show notes. Um, the number's a little bit lower if you if you only count shootings that either injure someone or that happen while uh, students are on campus. Um, but it's still way too many. Right. And you notice that, again, we have to make stipulations to make sure we get the numbers right, you know, because they're going to come, they will come after you yeah. if you um, spit out the wrong data. And this, that's how crazy this world has gotten about this. I mean, we should, I mean, the fact that there's been more than 10 school shootings, it, it, I mean, no matter how, how a gun was discharged or whatever, that should be cause for alarm. So it, it's mind boggling. It really, really is. And I think another important point, so we've talked a bit about sort of like the corporate motivations for um, for like reinforcing gun ownership and gun rights. But I think it also needs to be stated and lots of people have been stating that, that it's like not just about uh, these corporations making money. It's also about like reinforcing white supremacy and male privilege. Um, There's a really great article in The Atlantic that was talking about how 
the gun violence is basically necessary to maintain white male privilege, that it gives this certain group of people an edge in every interaction that they have that they could be carrying a gun. So you can't like disrespect them or fail to please them, or you might face the consequences of their, their like rage and anger. And I think that's like made pretty evident by the differential way that gun rights are applied to, to white people and to black people. Right. You know, like (laughs) white people can march around with assault rifles and protest and be (laughs) fine, but like, you know, a 10 year old black kid has a toy gun and suddenly he gets shot by the police and then the police aren't even reprimanded for that. You know, like they don't lose their job, much less go to jail. Like that's insane. Gun. And that like, we shouldn't like, we should all just refuse to talk about gun rights period. Like it needs to be gun rights for white people. Like that should be the full phrase. Mm Well, and if you notice, um, one thing I noticed about Vulcan, that it's so white people. I mean, I, I think I went back to look. I don't think I saw any diversity at all in that town. I mean, and the way that the god himself treated Shadow. I mean, he was talking about lynching. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> this guy is your guest. And, and, right. and the way that he treated Wednesday versus Shadow, you know, it was like, and he didn't care how, how different it came across. That that was kind of telling, and and I think it's almost a given in the black community that when gun rights are talked about, it's not talked about for us. Yeah, it's something that you know I think any oh, totally. uh, people of color are kind of excluded from the conversation. No matter no matter how many black people the NRA trots out when they're they're doing their their ads or their speeches or whatever, it's not for us. And I think that the episode kind of made that pretty clear. The whole concert relationship between conservatives and the black community is is like mind boggling and kind of like ridiculous in the way that, you know, it's like gun violence in Chicago is is used to justify like certain policing policies. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to things that might actually make it harder for people to get guns and actually decrease that gun violence, like they don't care. No. You know, black people who get accidentally shot by cops, they can pay the price. But, you know, white people who want to shoot AR-15s on the weekends, that's too much of a price to pay. Yeah, way too much. And and the thing, the premise is, I guess, well, to me, when I hear that, is that the, the responsible gun owner is the white gun owner and everyone else should not be armed. So, yeah. Now they've been trying to kind of mix up the audiences a bit. I don't know if, if you saw some of their, what was that, a town hall meeting or whatever that they the NRA had. Um, but um, the the audience was mixed. But I'm, I'm like, how many of those people were just trotted in to fill seats just to make this seem like a diverse uh, discussion? And, it, and, and it, it never is. It never really is at all. Yeah. And you're so right that in the episode itself, Shadow seems way more uncomfortable with all of the gun violence than anybody else there. It's clearly that he sees it through a racial lens Mm -hmm. that no one else is really caring about. Right. Well, and you know, Wednesday has his agenda, you know, he needs to, which that's another, Oh, that's another layer right there. So you, we have these people in our society who really don't agree with this NRA conservative BS, you know, that's going on, but they're complacent Mm -hmm. with it because they need the cooperation or collaboration or whatever of the people who do believe in that. So they will go along with it. They will support it, even if it doesn't benefit black people or benefit the kids in school carrying, you know, because somebody might have a gun. Um, But it it Mm -hmm. does fit their needs. So, I mean, uh, Wednesday kind of, it fit, uh, fits that that segment of the population of our of our Congress. I, I, I think a lot lot of our congressmen are are this way. They don't agree with it, but they'll go along with it because they need the funding or they need the 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 votes or whatever um, that the lobbyists in the NRA provide. Which they're just as, uh, that makes them just as toxic as, as the people who are wholeheartedly believing in in all of this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the episode is also making like the racial aspect of that textual with the way that it opens with the uh, immigrants crossing over to America. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like everybody is a person of color in that scene. 
and they are all, you know, gunned down by the Vulcan bullets that are also like embossed mm-hmm. on the side with uh, phrases from the Bible. You know, so there's a co-opting of religion in there, of Christian religion by the uh, power structure behind the guns to serve that, you know, gun agenda. It's not serving the actual religion, which Mm -hmm. they are literally killing in that scene. They are killing Jesus in that scene you know, while having biblical verses on their guns, they're, they're literally being co-opted by the gun power. I mean, that you can't get more explicit with the entire metaphor of the show right there. They're killing people of color in the name of their God, but actually being, you know, serving mm-hmm. the gun owners. Like, <laughs> like that's the whole episode right there. Yeah. And, and bringing up the lynching and all of that stuff with shadow just underlines you know and the way that ricky whittle plays it i think is perfect where he's just constantly as they're slowly rolling down that street with that great opening monologue that you talked about you know the comfortable america the look on his face as he Mm -hmm. sees the people with the you know the symbols on their arms kind of like a a nazi type of thing he's just like "Uh uh-uh man like let's get out of here um (laughs) yeah and um that whole going back to that whole opening scene um i don't know if you noticed but the shooters are actually carrying um crucifixes well one of them was it was carrying a crucifix and with a while his finger was on the trigger and his sight was on you know mm-hmm. jesus so yeah um well it kind of tells you that the guns don't care you know about jesus or religion or anything else they have their own agenda and their agenda is to kill whoever's in front of it so right. yeah it reminds me so much of those um those pictures that were circulating online from the the associated press they had those photos of that like creepy gun blessing oh, ceremony oh, from pennsylvania yes. where people are wearing like crowns of bullets and like hugging their rifles in church mm-hmm. like i felt like looking at those pictures it's it looked like something that maybe would have been proposed in the american gods writers yeah. room and then been like no 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 that's yes. too over the top like that's too much metaphor even for yeah. our show and then and then it's just like it's happening yes. in real life. I, see when i saw those pictures i thought it was a hoax i really thought th- that it wasn't real and then i'm watching abc evening news and it uh, there it's there and i'm like wow um this is really happening and that's why i, I think on twitter i said um it, this town is in the rust belt you know where you know everything still 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 factories and mills if there's a steel mill mill at the end mm-hmm. of main street we need to get out of here <laughs> because, uh, yeah brian fuller is writing uh 2018 and we're going to be screwed <laughs> over <laughs> so <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that those images, if those images did not scare or at least make uh, make you uncomfortable, anyone out there, then I don't I do not know what's going to um, change your mind about gun violence and, and the to- and how toxic guns are in our country. To me, they seem to be the people who have taken the message that was sent out wholeheartedly. And I think they're the people that we weren't supposed to see. Um, they're the people who drank all of the Kool-Aid. And so I think these are the people that we were not supposed to see. So I kudos to whoever the reporter was who got these photos. Because I have yeah. a feel. I, to me, it just kind of felt like something that we were like looking in on a dirty secret of the NRA and the gun lobby. And, you know, that had just been, you know, kind of let out. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. It's really weird. Like, and, you know, I think this goes to like another thing that um, I write about on my blog sometimes and that I think is really like a core issue in our time about like the virtue of antagonizing your enemies. Like that's really like the only it's not about like an actual ideology where you believe in things. It's about like those people are the bad guys and anything that we can do to antagonize them is virtue. You know, like, it's not about making anything or building anything. It's like these people get together and they Mm -hmm. go, man, wouldn't it make the libs crazy if we put on crowns of bullets? And it has nothing to do with 
any of their actual beliefs in like capitalism or individualism that, you know, could be like good core American values. Otherwise, like if, if they mm-hmm. are reined in, you know, like any any ideology can become toxic if you take it too far. But like this isn't an even ideology. It's just like just make those people over there pissed off. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, why? It doesn't even make sense. Uh, all the power, all the all three forms of government are in their favor and they can't pass any legislation because they don't actually believe in anything right now. It doesn't. And so like when Obama won and he had the Congress and the Senate and the presidency, they passed legislation within weeks and it took Trump months to get anything done. And even in the face of like massive tragedies like this and polling numbers that say nine out of 10 people want gun reform, like nothing happens because there's no vision. But now I'm just ranting. Right. (laughs) No, no, no. I, I think you make sense. And then I think when we go back to talking about the dissonance and then talking about the syndrome, it's a, a party with no, no no beliefs, no no foundation, nothing to stand on. Um, I think that that makes a lot of sense. They're just there to protect their profit margins. So it seems, you know, because the, a lot of them are big. Yeah. Um, they get some some big donations from the NRA. So, you know, why not try to, you know, t- do as much as we can to to shut up the the gun control talk? Because if we if we this talk continues, then our cash flow is gone. So I think that they, the only thing they really do stand for, believe in, is their own profit. Otherwise, there's no agenda. There's no real platform anymore at all. So we've talked a little bit about um, like the profits and guns as maintaining white supremacy. And then I think the third thing that the episode also really speaks to is like why people are so into guns is getting drunk on the power itself. Vulcan talks about how having a gun is like having a mini volcano mm-hmm. in your hand, you know, like it feels good. You know, I'm originally from Texas and I've like, shot my fair share of guns, actually shot an AR-15 over Christmas at a shooting range. There is something that's like kind of intoxicating Mm -hmm. about having that kind of power in your hands. I personally would never want to own a gun because I just wouldn't want to have to be responsible for that or think about it Mm -hmm. all the time. But like I can see having a gun does give you a sense of Mm -hmm. agency and a sense of power. It's It's a little bit of an illusion. A lot of gun owners have come out with op-eds or essays recently about the like type of vigilance that you have to have of, as a gun owner and as someone who's mm-hmm. always carrying. You know, like it changes what your life is like. You do have to be always vigilant, always thinking about where your gun is if it's loaded. Like having that power makes you constantly suspicious and aware of what's going on. Like, it's not a fun, relaxed life. It's like a really anxious life where you're you're constantly prepared to be under attack. But we don't have to live that way. But maybe people don't realize that. Right. I can see that. I grew up, well, did part of my growing up in Arkansas. Um, and my husband's family's from Arkansas. I've never shot anything more than just a, a hunting rifle. But I did see... I wasn't sure if it was an AR-15, but it was an automatic weapon shot, you know, by uh, one of our neighbors. The The look in the guy's eyes when he shot it is what I remember. Because his eyes went wild while, while he was shooting it. And it's, it you know, um, my friend's dad, you know, I so I really, I, I knew this guy's, you know, great dad. He was a great husband, you know, but when he put, you put this gun in his, in his hands and he started shooting and his eyes got wild. And I remember thinking that, you know, he could turn around and start shooting all of us at any second. He looked so crazy, you know, um, what you said about that power in your hands, how that power in your hands changes you. I think you're onto something there, especially when you get a gun with that much firepower in it, seeing this guy just transform while he's shooting this weapon in it. It stayed with me, you know, and we don't own gu- own guns because I, I, I can't, I know I can't have that around my kids. I really can. Yeah. 
I don't have any guns either. But when I was in high school, like I was, it wasn't a military school, but there was like a ROTC program, which I think is at a a lot of schools, which is like a low grade recruiting tool. But I took it to get out of gym because who the hell wants to go to the gym? (laughs) You could go in the rifle team. And our rifle coach was actually like an Olympian in shooting the rifle. Like he had several gold medals and he had coached a lot of rifle teams in the Olympics. And so I was actually really well trained on like I'm a I'm a really good shot with a rifle. And so I went through training for that and I've done like hunters training courses. I've never gone hunting like it's not something that interests me. I would rather not like sit out in the cold and you know, I've taken all those classes and I've I've held and shot guns and so I know what that feeling is like. And like I said, I think that that was a wise thing to put into the constitution. You know, those guys were really thinking about tyranny when they wrote that thing because of everything that they had experienced. And, you know, for a couple generations back in Mm -hmm. the founding of the country, I mean, you know, leave alone all the hypocrisy that's, you know, built into the slave ownership and the massacre of the Indians. Like, of course, you know, there's like terrible problems at the root of our country. But um, I think that, saying that people were allowed to have weapons is not necessarily a bad thing, but we've mixed it up so much and we've gone, I really think that we've gone too far. And, uh, you know, like I think all of the, the safety stuff and the training that I had was like a benefit to me as opposed to somebody, like you said, who is at a party or something like that and just got to crack off, you know, a magazine of a fully automatic rifle who Mm -hmm. didn't know what he was doing and probably hadn't been trained and and just like got drunk on the power of that. Like that's an extremely dangerous situation uh, that, you know, I think that a lot of people are experiencing that or have a fantasy about it, especially Mm -hmm. these young kids in schools uh, want to feel powerful when they get that gun. Then they feel like finally, like, you know, I can get my revenge or, or do whatever I want. And the people who put that gun in their hand, don't care about that power, that situation, or any of that. They just care about the money. We can't just stand by and let that happen. Like it's that's not it's not okay. These are our kids. right. And um, so there's this argument I know with my with my in laws who are gun owners, and they they are uh, so my husband's family they they are they're gun owners, they're a gun owning family, but they everyone goes through extensive training before you can hold a gun you know the impact of this weapon that you have in your hands so that makes it mu- that much harder to, to argue with them when like the parkland shooting happens or you know any kind of shooting with where a gun is um kind of discharged by a person who really really wasn't prepared not everybody gets the training and maybe you know like you said the training changed you it'll prepare you and maybe you know that's what is needed but not everybody's getting it and that's the problem so um instead of stopping the conversation with safe gun training you know guns are are no problem guns don't kill people people kill people and you know they're really big into saying that but um but they shut it down by talking about gun safety and training and all this because um it does work it does work um, because you are taught how the impact of this weapon, but you're not getting gun training when you're buying these weapons from Walmart or Dick's or, you know, Kroger even. Did you know they sell guns at per- Kroger in Pacific Northwest? That's crazy. Yeah, found that out on Twitter, no by the way, idea. this week. So <laughs> anyway, that, that's a tangent. But um, <laughs> but anyway, you're not getting those safety lessons when you're walking up and paying your money, getting that instant background check. Don't talk to me about background checks because they're they're just about instant they take sometimes they take you know not even um a day and and you get a gun so if if that's the solution great start incorporating these training classes processes whatever but something has to be done other than shutting the conversation down because i mean we have so many things that we know what works why don't we start implementing them using them and it's like you said because if we stop and you put a halt to put a barrier um, that's going to slow up the cash flow, man. Um, if you can't just walk up to the counter and just buy a weapon and it's going to take you, you know, six months of training, who the hell wants to do that? You know? Um, yeah, I think that's going to slow up the cash flow and they don't want to do that. So, <laughs> you know, it's funny, Alan, that you brought up deer hunting. Cause I feel like, or I guess hunting in general, but deer hunting is actually an issue that I'm like pretty passionate about in the pro direction. 
because mm-hmm. my my training is in ecology and deer mm-hmm. overpopulation is actually a really big problem, both in terms of like car accidents that actually cause harm to people, but also a lot of plant species are endangered because there are too many deer and they just overgraze everything um, because, you know, we've gotten rid of all the top predators like wolves and mountain lions. And so the deer can basically just overpopulate to the point where um, both they're like really unhealthy because they don't have enough food for themselves. And also, mm-hmm. yeah, they're like decimating plant populations and then all of the insects that depend on those plants and then all of the birds that depend on those insects. So I actually think like, we need more deer hunters and people people who are like passionate about and trained and mm-hmm. sort of like animal control that way. Those are not necessarily the same people who are uh, worshiping right. the NRA <laughs> and fighting right. for the right to get instant access right. to AR-15s, right? Because those people who are actually going to be out there and, and like playing an important role as sport hunters, like all these little barriers like mm-hmm. background checks and waiting no, periods, no. like that's not going to deter them. And, and those are the people who the deterrences aren't, you mm-hmm. know, those programs aren't made to deter them. The other thing about that is no hunter is going to go out in the woods with an AR-15. Right. Like that's not how you hunt. <laughs> it's a, mm-hmm. it's a single shot enterprise. You're, you're taking a very careful aim and you're hitting exactly where you want to and when you want to your shot should take the animal down on the first hit. Uh, and then if not, like then you track the animal and finish it. But yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, conserving the animal population is really important. And I didn't mean to like, it's not my thing is, is really what I was saying. Like, I'm just not into it. And that's why I don't own a gun and I don't want a handgun cause I have two small children and I'm just like, I feel like if there's a gun around, it's exactly what you said. It's it's an anxiety inducing to me. And I'm going to worry about when my kids are not directly in my line of sight. Yeah. My kids get into everything, man. They are into everything. And so I, I could not, I it would be a, a mess <laughs> worried about them getting at, I don't care how many lock boxes, cast iron safes or whatever you have my two-year-old can hack my break my password and get into my um my tablet <laughs> I, I i really don't i we we don't have one because i i don't need, i don't need that type of worrying here i'm more worried about you know the two-year-old taking the gun and pointing it at one of the teenagers you know because they, they took her gummy bears or something you know i'm just really not um i'm not that that's what that's the biggest fear for me i'm more worried about that than you know an intruder coming into the house um because that's more likely to happen um and i think that deer hunters are legitimate deer hunters are they're used as cover by these people that are trying to um keep the the Mm -hmm. conversation quelled for gun control um they just kind of throw the the hunters in saying oh they're they're talking about you guys too um, just to kind of just rile up everybody and get them to shut down any conversation about doing anything about this. You know, it's not like the NRA wants more shootings at schools and stuff like that, but they want to pretend like their behavior and advocacy has nothing to do with the school shootings. Yeah. And that is disingenuous and incorrect. I think they legit don't, they don't think that they, that they're responsible. I don't think they, they even see any correlation between their guns and the school shootings um and in these mm-hmm. and these accidental gun injuries um like the story last year of a toddler getting hold of his mom's handgun in the back seat and shooting the mom um which I'll, I'll send you that link so you can put it up with this uh podcast but um i don't think they see any correlation between their product and that those things happening in that same vein it's exactly like in the episode where the entire town shoots guns in the air and then walks off without a second thought about those bullets are going to fall right back down out of the sky. Mm -hmm. And the innocent unarmed person is the one who has to deal with it where shadow has to huddle in the car and, and hope 
that the car doesn't get perforated by these bullets and he dies. Right. And, you know, the, the whole crowd walks away. And, you know, then Shadow's face when he's sitting in the car under the, this rain of bullets, which goes on forever, it seems like, um, his his face <laughs> is like that. I, I feel like he just, his face is, uh, you know, kind of representative of what those of us who are like trying to push for some kind of gun control, anything, his face kind of represents that. Like, how do you guys not see this? How do you not see you cause this? How do you not see this? And he's like in so much disbelief. But these people have walked away and it's none of their business. It's not their problem. They don't care anymore, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have anything else you want to say about being parents of school-age children? I have six kids all together. My 17-year-old uh, senior, she's the one who's like really um, adamant about, um, who's really upset um, about everything that's happened. Every time she hears about one of the Parkland kids getting trolled, um, some rumor or whatever, she she gets pissed off. So every time they announce something or they try to say something because of this reaction or whatever, the, one of the kids wasn't you know, sincere because they said this one time and that the next time. Well, every time they come out with something like that, I don't think they realize that they're pissing off the teenagers who of America who are going to school and who have to do these drills all and who had to do them all week, actually. My, my kids um, actually go to a high school where we've had two um, shootings thwarted by the police. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So one happened last uh, in the fall. There were rumors about a kid coming and, you know, getting his dad's guns and coming back to school to shoot um, because he was mad at somebody or something happened like that. And so um, the police were able to stop him as he was getting to the school. He did not get to the school, but they did take what the kids said and what the parents called in the, the tips and everything. They took him seriously and they did go after the kid that was in the fall. And then recently, maybe a month ago, um, there was a Facebook post by um, a teenager who um, was talking about coming to school and, um, sh and shooting the police got together and rounded him up and his parents. But my son, who's 14, he was a freshman and the kid who was making the threats was a freshman. He didn't feel comfortable going to school that day. And I told him, you don't have to. I mean, these are the days where we have to make these decisions as parents. If the kid doesn't feel safe going to school, do you make them go? Do you, what do you talk to them about? What do you say to them? Um, that type of thing. Um, and with the NRA doing their, their, what they do, it just kind of, it, it angers me as a parent. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's so scary. And God bless you for having six kids. Like I can't imagine. I have uh, two little girls and they're both in elementary school and I live in like a tiny, tiny town. And it's actually really frustrating because you were talking about your kids have to do drills. Um, there are no drills at this school for this kind of situation. Yeah. And they, and if anybody talks about guns at all, they are immediately shut down. Basically, like when they say no gun zone, it's like guns don't exist in the universe <laughs> on that school. Like that's how the approach yeah. is. If we ignore this problem, it won't happen here, uh, which I think is like crazy. That is how the pressure builds. That is how things don't get dealt with. And then, you know, these kids who feel powerless and resentful end up striking out because they held all of that mm -hmm. stuff inside of them. I just feel like there's a lack of, and I think this comes back to like underfunding of education within our system, you know, which also goes back to that uh, packaging of things that kind of don't make sense where, you know, like it doesn't because conservatives are typically anti-union and teachers are unionized. Therefore, teachers should not get money. It kind of doesn't make sense if you want to be the most excellent nation in the world mm -hmm. to underfund your education, like, you know, as like a goal of conservatives to believe in American exceptionalism. It doesn't really make sense to uh, not invest in the future of your country by mm -hmm. overfunding education. Maybe I feel like these kids who are the shooters do this because they feel like they have no power. They're not being heard by people. And maybe if we had more money in the schools, this wouldn't even be an issue about guns. It would be an issue about these kids and where they are in their lives. I mean, the shooter in uh, Florida, Nicholas Cruz, was radicalized by 
local white supremacists and had marked up all of his bullets Mm -hmm. with swastikas before. Like, that's a lot of work to sit there. And on the casing of every single bullet, that kid was meditating on something. There was a lot Mm -hmm. of hatred there. There was a lot of issues. There were no services available to help that kid process his pain. And then his pain became the pain of a community and in a lot of ways, the pain of a nation. Is it worth it? Like, where are we spending our money? We're, we're worried about all this money coming in from the gun lobby. Like, where is that money going? It's certainly not going into services in the schools for the children that are the future of the country. When I heard about the swastikas on the bullets, I thought of the Vulcan bullets with, with the V. Oh, yeah. So, um, but yeah, they, they have nothing else. And one of you said um, that the gun was power in your hand. Um, so if they want power, you know, if they feel powerless, they're going to search out power and what better power, you know, to get than a gun, especially in some of these communities where there there's like, it's so gun ownership was so widespread, you know, it's probably not hard to find one. So, you know, a big part of the, the national conversation about gun control is sort of like the role of mental health because that it goes along with the argument that like guns don't kill people, people kill people. The pro-gun rights side likes to blame all of these incidents on like, oh, well, it was just this one mentally ill person, you know, like Mm -hmm. guns have nothing to do with it. And yet President Trump rolled back regulations that were designed to keep people who are mentally ill from having easy access to guns. And they're trying to actually, you know, cut mental health funding, remove it from Obamacare provisions, you know, cut school counselors, kind of like what Alan was saying, you know, it's like, even if they genuinely believed that it was a mental health problem and not a gun problem, then why would you not do something to actually address the mental health problem? And instead, they're like set on ignoring that one as well. Um, so so it like it comes across, I think, as, as super disingenuous it's really stigmatizing towards people who have mental illness because the vast majority of people who have mental illness, you know, are never violent towards other people. People who are mentally ill are actually more likely to be the target of violence than they are Mm -hmm. to, to commit violence. And anything that we do to stigmatize mental illness in general, uh, you know, just makes it harder for people to get the treatment and the care that they really need. Exactly. The system is broken in so many ways that are not just related to guns, but that guns kind of fit into. Yeah. But come on, get happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, start dancing, <laughs> right. start dancing. Come on, everything's good. One of the final thoughts about the episode itself that I wanted to bring up, you know, each bullet is a prayer. And every time someone is injured, it just makes them want to pray harder. That it's like this positive feedback cycle of... Anytime that there's gun violence, the solution to it is just more guns, which of course then is going to cause more gun violence. And so you you end up in the cycle that you that's accelerating and you can't get rid of it. And the fact that Trump proposed arming teachers oh my God, yes. like yeah. genuinely as a genuine solution. Mm-hmm. And then and, and then are like them seriously. <sighs> They're actually considering it. <laughs> Yeah, and then the Florida legislature passed a fucking law about it, which is just, like, insane. Even though a few days later, like, you know, a school went on lockdown because a teacher had a gun and was, like, brandishing it. Teachers are not magical, you know, beings that Mm -hmm. are free from mental health issues and flaws themselves, you know? Like, Like, aside from the fact that having teachers be armed in the classroom makes it much easier and more likely that a student would be able to get a hold of that gun and do something bad with it. Like teachers themselves can be unhinged. I think we all can remember that teacher that like you absolutely would not have trusted with a stapler, (laughs) much less a gun. Um, (laughs) And so the fact that the Florida legislature allocated $67 million to arm and train teachers when all that money could be put to much better use, Mm -hmm. you know, by putting counselors and to schools to talk mm-hmm. to students is just it's insane right when you arm teachers you're putting kids of color at risk there was a study last year and there have been studies for quite some time now that talks about the bias um, that teachers have against kids of color um, sometimes even a fear 
And and um, last year there was a study where it talked about black girls who are uh, often viewed as less innocent, as tr- bigger troublemakers, and, and they're punished more often than their white peers. So if you arm teachers who are already dealing with this bias, who are already dealing with all kinds of stress, you give them this gun and this anxiety that goes along with it, it puts kids of color at risk. And we, we talk about that anxiety. I mean, imagine what it would be to, you know, want to be a teacher and help educate young people. And then you have to like carry a sidearm in every day and go like, is this the day that I kill one of these students? Like oh that mental burden yeah. would be like unimaginable. Like, the- Right, right. It would be. I mean, I taught ninth grade temporarily. I taught, I was there, only there for six months. But let me tell you, I'm not going back because um, <laughs> the ability, I mean, having 145 students under my care for a whole day that, you know, they each get an hour with me, but for that hour, I'm responsible for them. It's terrifying. And we actually did have shooting drills at that time. And the kids are asking me all these questions about, uh, is, you know, is somebody really here and what will we do? And, you know, those scenarios on what will we do if somebody actually did come through? It was just sad for me to have to, you know, hear them saying that. And then on the other hand, you know, when you're like having to teach them, we had, we ended up having five tests, standardized tests um, over the time, over my six month period at the school, um, having to teach them for that test and then having to deal with Indiana standards, I was stressed out. And ninth graders don't behave all that well. <laughs> they're um, 13, <laughs> they're 14, 15 year olds. You know, they don't like sitting in the desk all day. So, and they do math off and they do, you know, they do stress you out. So I, I know it's a high stress job and that putting a gun in that situation, I can tell you from experience is not um, the thing that needs to be done. And any teacher who's been in a classroom and they've had to deal with, I think they will tell you the same thing. It's not the situation that you want to add a weapon to. So before we wrap up with some final thoughts, I just had a few articles and podcasts that I wanted to point out that I think had really good ideas that we haven't really quite touched on here yet. So the first one is the 538 Politics podcast has talked about gun control for their past two episodes. So on February 20th, And on February 26th, on February 20th in particular, they interviewed a historian um, who was talking about sort of like the different ways that the Second Amendment has been interpreted over the past 200 and some years um, and sort of like what its original meaning was when it was written and how much do we even need to take the original meaning into an account? Like what does it mean for the Constitution to be a living document? The NRA is almost as old as the Constitution itself. For most of its history, it's just been a fraternal organization for sportsmen. And it really didn't become a political institution or or that involved in politics until the 1970s. And prior to the 1970s, um, the Second Amendment was interpreted really differently. And then uh, there's an article in Bloomberg talking about a gun manufacturer named Taurus, it's like so spot on to the depiction of the Vulcan factory in the episode. It's kind of amazing. Um, Their guns are super defective. They can fire with the safety on and they can fire just from being dropped um, or shaken without pulling the trigger. And yet their products have not been recalled. um, And actually Brazilian police officers are required to carry these weapons. And a lot of police officers have been killed or wounded and the Brazilian government and the US government are doing nothing and the gun company is literally just settling for millions of dollars mm-hmm. in in each of these like wrongful wow. deaths because it's easier to settle than to <laughs> fix the defective product. And then the final article that I want to point out um was from the Atlantic. It's an article by Heather Share. She's a radiologist um, who's been working in a trauma center for the past 13 years. And she's basically talking about her perspective as a trauma specialist and a doctor, and that like the physical wounds caused by AR-15s are really different than the physical wounds caused by handguns. And like there's a reason why the fatality counts in these shootings with AR-15s are so high, and that's because 
Um, the bullets are going much faster. They actually like shred all of the internal organs within like a two inch radius. Like there's just nothing left to repair. Like the organs are liquefied. There's no wound to heal. It's just like a soup, basically. There's a reason to single out these high velocity weapons. Yes. So those are those are my my like aside from the ones that I already mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, my like sort of top three things that I would check out if you're interested in in continuing this conversation and and learning more. I'm sure that because this podcast is in your feed that you are an American Gods fan, but maybe uh, you know like you watched the episode a long time ago when it came out. Uh, or maybe you're listening to this episode because it's like a special episode and and not so directly tied to American Gods. But I, in either case, I would say go back and check out that episode because there are just so many things that, I mean, the show, we said this while we were covering mm-hmm. it live as it came out, the show felt mm-hmm. very prescient. And this episode, it was just like, wow. I mean, the the metaphor of the episode just speaks so directly to this moment in uh, you know, American life right now. And it's chilling, but it's also like a really good way to meditate on the situation and think about what we need to do. So I would say go watch American Gods. Uh, well, thank you again so much, Janita, for talking to us about this. It was uh, a fantastic conversation. And uh, where can our listeners find you on the internet? Um, well, on the internet, they can find me on Twitter. Twitter handle is uh, Survey is Teens and Tots. I think Surviving Teens and Toddlers because my kids' age range from 21 <laughs> to 2. Um, so, okay, so that handle is um, at S-U-R-V-I and then Teens T-E-E-N-S and then an N and then Tots, T-O-T-S. And my website is www.jonitadavis.com. And um, I wanted to just um, add here that um, Black Girl Nerds and uh, several other um, nerd organizations are putting together a Universal Fan Con. It's a convention that's going to have just everything from all walks of popular culture at the Baltimore Convention Center. But one of the things that um, I think you guys would be interested in um, is they're going to have the American Gods actors there so you can come and see um shadow and uh wednesday and um several other actors i will be uh interviewing them um which will be Ooh, awesome that's so great i know i'm so nervous um so <laughs> i mean uh, ricky whittle is, is like one of my you know <laughs> is, is going to be one of the interview the interviewees and i'm just like just get nervous every time i think about having to sit across from him and ask him all these great questions you know so um oh, the, and, and the fans can meet them you know so yeah. that's um april 27th through the 29th at the baltimore convention center um tickets are on sale now and if you use bgn 2018 you get a special discount oh that's awesome then they can find more information on my website so that is fantastic um, and I know a lot of our listeners um, use the Patreon website to support a lot of uh, artists and podcasters that they love. And um, Black Girl Nerds, which is uh, run by Jamie Broadnax, Mm -hmm. um, they have a Patreon site. So um, if you are interested, you should check out their content and consider supporting them there. I'm a a very happy patron of Black Girl Nerds, and I I love supporting what uh, you guys do. Yeah, me too. I'm a supporter too. I love that site. It's uh, such an insightful look at all of pop culture, but uh, so important too, like to get, uh, you know, if you're like us, you're people of privilege, you really need to like listen to other people. And uh, it's a fantastic site. And it's a lot of fun too. It's great podcasts and everything there is she is blowing up and it's really fun to watch and it's cool to be a part of that too yeah yeah so. yeah because i think we uh alan and i uh really found out about them because of your work on american gods and so we were like there you know at the beginning and watched um that site just 
take off in, in popularity and it's been really fun. Yes. Um, and I kind of started, um, I started working with them and, and, you know, talking to Jamie about, you know, how I like to write about pop culture things. And so she just kind of let me do a little bit, you know, a few articles here and there. And then when I found out that my favorite book, which I have a first edi- first edition copy <laughs> with uh, Neil Gaiman's signature in it, got it as a push present. Um, oh so when I found out it was it was going to be a show on stars, I'm like, can I write about this for Black Girl Nerds? I was so excited and she let me. And so that's where I met you guys um, through those articles. And so it's been great, a great ride ever since. Um, and she, it's a great outlet for talking about things that I don't get to talk about anywhere else. I mean, who else wants to hear about other than, you know, the, the small community that we, that I love so much to talk to you guys and everyone else, but you know, we're a small population, you know, talking about geeky things, um, <laughs> but we matter. So, um, and the, 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 yeah. um, website actually gives us a little bit of an outlet to talk about those things and to kind of share our outlooks and, you know, for me to kind of point out some of the things in there, like how Laura is, you know, kind of peak privilege, but anyway, and that that's my other articles, but that's for another day. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, check okay. it out. I love it. Okay, well, uh, with that, I'm Anya, and you can follow me on Twitter at strangely literal. That's strangely then l i t e r l. I'm Alan, and you can follow me on Twitter at Chipper Allen. You can follow our show on Twitter at Shadow Shambler and visit the website at shadowsandshamblers.com for news and hopefully news about the second season coming up sometime next year, we hope, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. There's been been some gossip about season two. Um, For those of you uh, who haven't really been paying attention, Brian Fuller and Michael Green have departed. There's new showrunners. So it seems like uh, things are maybe going to be a little bit delayed, but are still on track to come out. Uh, fingers crossed for uh, for some good continuity. We'll see how yes. it goes. Right. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. Uh, and of course, if you'd like to leave us feedback, you can visit shadowsandshamblers.com slash contact or send an email to contact at halloweddgroundmedia.com. We'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on this episode and how it relates uh, to the Parkland shooting and and gun control and gun rights in general. And yeah, just, just hear your thoughts on that in general. Because like Vulcan says, you are what you worship. Shadow and Shamblers is a hollowed ground media production and is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial share alike license. <laughs>